Amen. All right. And now we got an opportunity to come to God with our requests. Now let's open the word and listen to what he has to say to us today. So we're going to be in John chapter 5 today. So if you'd open your Bibles to John chapter 5, you pull out your notes, we're going to dig right in. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start, is I'm going to, I'm going to read um, the first part of John chapter 5. is going to be from verses 1 through 9. And then I'm going to ask you guys, so listen intently, I'm going to ask you guys, what do you guys see in this passage first glance? What are some observation you guys have? And then we'll dig a little deeper. So I'm going to begin John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In, in, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. What do you guys see in this cool story? What sticks out to you guys? Group participation. Bernadette. Yeah. Right. Abs Absolutely. He, 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 we could say he does have faith, but not in Jesus, right? He has faith in in something else right and so that's good the first thing in your notes is this uh jesus brings real hope jesus re brings real hope right his hope was in the fact that he needs to get in this pool right and yet jesus doesn't even put him in the pool right jesus doesn't ask him about that jesus just asks him a very simple question no do you want to get better yeah good bernadette anyone else some thoughts yes He's, yeah, he's given up. He's been there 38 years. What do you mean, do I want to get better? I'm here, right? But, but, there's, but there's no hope. There really is no hope, right? He's lost it. Yeah, Roger. Yeah. He wants to draw something out of him, right? Yeah, yeah, there's something there. Yeah, yeah, Caleb. I was wondering who has OCD like me. There's, it's, missing, it's missing verse 4. Did you, guys, did you guys pick up on that? It's missing verse 4. The reason why it's missing verse 4 is it's not in the early manuscripts. Later manuscripts have this verse 4, and basically it, what, 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 it's, it's actually the end of verse 3 and verse 4. It gives you, um, it gives you a description of, the, uh, of what these people believed was true. They, it says they believed that an angel 
would come from heaven and stir the water, and that whoever would get in there first would be healed from whatever their ailment was, right? It was a urban legend. It was, it was mythology, and these people believed it. It wasn't in the early manuscripts, but, but you do see him in his response. We, we know that it's, this probably is what it was, right? Because that's what he says. He says, well, I don't have anybody who, when the thing is stirred, I don't have anyone who will help me go down there, and people keep cutting me off, right? Yeah, good, Caleb. Yes, Dale. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he almost, we, we know that he's lost hope, but has he lost hope in the fact that maybe this might be true, or has he lost hope in humanity? Has he lost hope in people? Has he lost hope in that somebody might actually want to help him, might care enough to help him? Very interesting stuff, right? And it starts, we, we see the context, it says that Jesus, he, he leaves Capernaum, the area where he was at, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he, the reason why he goes there is because he's Jewish, right? Jewish people have seven feasts during the year, and three of those feasts are called pilgrimage feasts, where you would, wherever you lived, you would leave, you would pilgrimage, and you would go to Jerusalem for these feasts. It was what was expected. Jesus was just doing what Jewish people do. It doesn't describe which feast it is, and I think that that's on important. Other times, John is very specific in what feast it is, but he wants us to know that this is not connected to the feast. This is connected, we're going to see, with the Sabbath. But here's something else that's interesting. In, in Jerusalem is where he goes. It says that there's the Sheep Gate. If you ever uh, read through Nehemiah, you would know that they rebuilt the walls. One of the areas that they rebuilt was the Sheep Gate. So they're literally at the place that, that of, of history where Nehemiah had rebuilt the Sheep Gate. That's where the sheep would enter in for the sacrifices. And then it says outside of the Sheep Gate is this pool of Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. This is a house of mercy. What is this pool doing there? It's a good question, right? What is this pool doing there? If you go to Jerusalem right now, they've excavated it. It's by the the house of St. Anne, right? And there's this big pool. And what it is, it's about, it's like, it's it's actually two pools, and there's a a divider, and there's these five uh, colonnades, these five columns that separate it. And so you have this huge pool. It's about the size of a football field. In its deepest section, is, is about 20 feet, and then there's a shallow section. What is this pool doing there? How is that Jewish? It's not. <laughs> the reason why this is there is because, if you remember back a couple hundred years before Jesus, there was this g- guy that came in. He was a Greek empire named Alexander the Great. He came and conquered most of the known world, and what he did, part of his policy, was what was called Hellenization. He tried to Hellenize everything. What that meant was he wanted to take the whole world who's not Greek are all considered barbarians, and he wanted to make them Greek. He wanted to Hellenize the world, and it was very successful. If you read in Acts, which is after Jesus, the early church, there's a group called the Jews that were Hellenized, the Hellenized Jews, right, that had become Greek. It was very, very popular for for Greeks to create public bathing pools, right? And you would have a separate one for the guys, a separate one for the girls. Now, why is this important in this section? Let me tell you. First of all, if you're a Jewish leader in this time, like Jesus was, 
if you're a Pharisee, you would have viewed this pool as something Greek-influenced, which wasn't spiritual, which was, you, it would have bothered you. This is a Greek influence. It might be beautiful, but it is not us. Right? So here's this Greek-influenced pool. And what these people believed out there was a very pagan ideology. It would have been detestable to the Jewish leadership that an angel would come down from heaven and stir the pool. This was a very Greek mythology, a pagan-type thinking. Why don't the Jewish people go out there and correct them, teach them, rebuke them? Because they consider them trash. They don't care. They don't care enough. They, you just, you got, we don't want you in here. As long as you stay out there, that's your place for you. This is the place for us. You stay where you're supposed to be. We'll stay. Imagine when you go down to Long Beach or you go down to, to, to Los Angeles and you go around like a, a government library or something and there's tons of homeless people. They're hurting. They're begging. They're, some are in wheelchairs. Some have psychological issues. And we, we kind of just, li- we, 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 it's, not like, it's not that we, 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 it's not that we like the fact that that's happening, but we don't want them in our neighborhood, do we? We, 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 we make it okay for them. Matter of fact, the police don't sweat the people when they're in Skid Row. You walk one step outside of Skid Row, the police will sweat you. You learn very closely. This is your place. This is our place. Where does Jesus show up? Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and he shows up in the pool of Bethesda, the outsider marginalized to those people. He brings, and he, and he makes them his people. It's just awesome right there, right? If that was the only part of the story, but that's why he tells you about this section. Jesus is going where no one else would go. He's going to a people that no one else would go to, and he walks up to this guy, right? And, 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 and he has this conversation with him, and what does he, he ask? He says, do you want to get better? A.K.A. what you're seeing here is a good old-fashioned intervention. Sometimes you need an intervention. Sometimes you need someone who's going to love you enough to come and go where you are and love you where you are and tell you what you need to hear in a loving way. Jesus comes up and he tells this guy, do you want to get better? He challenges him. It's an intervention. And so some of the things in your notes that I've uh, 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 pulled out of this is this. Letter A, apathy is a strong demotivator. Apathy is a strong demotivator when you stop caring, when you settle into where you're at. This is just the way that I am. This is just where I'm at. And you don't push forward into any type of growth. You're apathetic. You're settled in. Whatever. Just a whatever lifestyle. Apathy is a strong demotivator, this guy has become apathetic. He doesn't really want to get better. He's stuck. He doesn't really think that he's going to get better. He just shows up in the place where he belongs. He now has a new place where he, this is where I belong. That's his comfort zone. That's his life. And he's just going to live out his existence there. He's apathetic. Have you ever said this? I'm too busy right now to focus on my faith or to serve in the kingdom. I'm too busy right now. I'll do that when I'm less busy. 
That's how I hide behind apathy sometimes. The truth is, because I've met with plenty of people, now sometimes you really are just too busy. There are some seasons, but they're very rare, and most of the people who are doing this, the reality is, is it's not that they're too busy, it's that they're apathetic. It's not that you're too busy, and here's how I know, because I've watched these types of people, and I've even been this type of people, and they never seem to get beyond their busyness to the season that they're talking about where they're less busy and now they're working on their faith. It just doesn't happen. They go from one busy section to the next busy section because here's the thing in life you will do what is important to you you'll do what's important to you i'm too busy this happened to me when i was in the fire academy i wasted my fire academy well i got through it and i became a fireman but when i was in the fire academy i was so busy i said i can't read i don't have time to read my one-year bible i don't have time to read i don't have time to really go to church i don't have time to do anything guess what i withered away And I was useless for the kingdom of God because I was like just becoming like everyone else. I was undercoming the stress. I wasted my fire academy till one day I woke up and I said, you know what? I'm too busy not to. I'm too busy not to do the things I know I need to do to to fan my my faith into flame. I'm too busy not to. If you're too busy, I would just suggest maybe you're hiding behind that. Because you'll never take that next step. You'll never get to the unbusy. Now, some of you guys will move forward, but it won't be because you're not busy. It will be because you have a spiritual awakening or, God bless you, you hit rock bottom. But something pulls you out of the apathy and pushes you and motivates you towards your faith. Right? You ever had this attitude? It's someone else's fault. (laughs) That's what this guy has, right? You want to get better? Oh, it's someone else's fault, right? It's someone else's fault i am this way because of that person or i am in this place because that happened you ever done this i i i stopped going to that church why because it was clicky is that a big deal oh they were so clicky here's the thing here's the thing most of the time when you are using that excuse oh they were clicky so i left it's not that they were clicky they might have been but that's not the reason why you you left That's not the reason why you didn't grow. It's not because they were clicky. It was because you were picky. (laughs) Because here's the thing. I went to Remembrance Community Church, and I wanted to be friends with Brittany, and I wanted to be in her her inner circle, and I couldn't get in. I saw other people getting in. They're clicky. Guess what? Brittany can't be best friends with everybody. But you're being picky. Maybe there's someone else around you that you're supposed to connect with. It's not clicky. You're just being picky. Maybe. Maybe. Told you I love awkward. Oh, I would have grown, but nobody ever discipled me. No, I'm sorry. No. If you want to be discipled, take some initiative. Find somebody. Nobody's going to come up to you and go, hey, can can I disciple you? That's weird. And here's the other thing. Don't go up to somebody and go, hey, will you mentor me? Will you disciple me? Clingy! Right? That's a stage five clinger. Run! Right? Don't do that. You're going to freak them out. This is what you do. Hey, will you have some coffee with me? Will you have some coffee with me? I would love to just, you know, pick your brain about a few questions I have. I'd love to maybe have you kind of just help me maybe take the next step. Just ask him out to coffee. Hey, will you marry me? Hey, we just met, dude. <laughs> right? We just met. How about we get some coffee first? Discipleship training. Okay? No one discipled me. No. That's not the issue. 
Oh, I left and no one noticed I was gone. That's another good one. No one noticed I was gone. Here's the thing. If you want to be accountable, make yourself accountable. I'll always ask, did you get involved with a community group? Oh, well, I had bowling on Wednesday and American Idols on Thursday. Sometime down the line, I'll get connected, right? No, you weren't accountable. You left. No one noticed because you never made yourself accountable. Sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> Told you Jesus had a great intervention. Sometimes you need a good intervention from someone who loves you and I love you. Right? Now, here's the thing. Letter B. Sometimes any excuse will work. Sometimes any excuse will work. I'm not saying that, 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 that the excuses aren't sometimes legitimate. Maybe they are a little bit clicky, but that's not the reason, right, is what I'm saying. Maybe people didn't notice, but that's not the reason. Maybe people didn't reach out and, and spoon feed you through discipleship, but that's not the reason. Sometimes any excuse will work, right? Well, that one person did that something to me at that church, and so I just kind of bailed on church and bailed on my faith. Right? It's their fault. Any excuse will work. Here's some other ones. Uh, I don't know enough yet, so I don't really want to get involved. I don't want to plug in and do anything because I don't really know enough yet. Here's the thing. God doesn't require you to know everything. Matter of fact, there's a proverb that says, Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path step. What's the next step? Do what you know. Most people, it's the reason why they're not growing is not because they don't know enough. It's because they know enough, but they're not doing what they know, right? And they're hiding behind any excuse that will work. What about this? I don't know anybody. That's why I don't show up to any events. How do you think you're going to get to know anybody? How do you think you're going to get to know anybody, right? This is my favorite one. This is for the guys, why it's hard to be a guy. Start, we'll start our conversation now. I know that I should read the Bible, but I don't like to read. I know I should read the Bible, but I don't like to read. Well, here's the thing. Let me have a little one-on-one with you. I hate digging. I hate to dig. You give me a shovel and you say, hey, go out there and dig holes. I'm not excited about that. But guess what? If you showed me a, a, a picture, you, you somehow had a machine that could look down into the earth, you showed me a machine, and, you, and, you, and I saw that there was treasure down there, and it was worth millions of dollars, guess what? I hate to dig, but I love treasure. So I'm going to become a digging fool. Sometimes any excuse will work, and that's where this guy is at, and Jesus lovingly is saying, hey, look, it's not just a, this, the only thing that's wrong with you is not just that your legs don't work. And then we learn something else in the story. We learn this. More faith is not enough. You need Jesus. More faith. Faith is good. Faith is important, but more faith is not the answer here. You need Jesus. A couple of things that, that, I, that I've learned, and then there's a whole spectrum, and I'm not saying I'm an expert on this, and, and, and I, I believe in healing. I believe God still heals. I believe God still does miracles. I'm charismatic, if you guys didn't know that. Not everybody here is. Uh, I'm charismatic with seatbelts. I, w- I would say that. I believe that God still gives all the spiritual gifts, and, and, and they can be in use, and so that's me. Maybe that's weird. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's, that's who I am. Uh, but more faith is not enough. And here's some myths that I've seen and even believed myself and, tr- and struggled with and tried to figure out. Because some of these things are hard to understand. But here's one. God has promised to heal anyone who has enough faith. 
Some people believe that. God has promised to heal anybody who, who has enough faith. And that's just not true. Because the Apostle Paul asked God to heal him. I would say Apostle Paul had a lot of faith. And God didn't heal him. He had a problem with his eyes. God doesn't heal him. And, he, and so Paul goes, oh, he must have a reason why he didn't heal me. So God doesn't just heal you because you have enough faith, right? But God does heal. We should, anybody who's hurting, I, I say, let's pray for him. Because I think God can heal him. God always answers prayers. He answers yes or no or not right now. And he always has a reason. But we should ask. I, I believe that. Here's another one. Some people do miracles because they have a lot of faith, right? You'll get some guy, I'll call him Mr. Guru, Mr. Faith Guru, and, and, and people believe that guy's got a lot of faith. We can go there and he can just move mountains and heal people. No. It's not because of his faith. If you're like me and you believe that, there are, is a, is, that God still does miracles, then it is a gift from God. God does miracles, not a human being. Nobody has the special gift of doing miracles. God does what God does. God uses people, right? Sometimes people are a vessel, and that's awesome. But, but, but it's not because they're Mr. F- you know, build up faith. And here's the other thing. If, if, if it's a spiritual gift, then gifts are given. It says in Romans 12, 5, gifts are given by grace. That's a free gift. Not because you had built up a bunch of faith, right? So be leery of people who puff themselves up that their faith is bigger than yours, and that's why they can do things, right? And then the myth, this last myth is one that we see in this story. God can't heal someone who doesn't have faith. Oh, that guy's not getting healed because they don't have enough faith. No, this guy in this story has no faith. Later, you're going to see in the story, what happens is, is he gets healed, he picks up his mat and he walks. You're not allowed to do that according to the Jewish tradition. You're not allowed to pick up your mat and walk. So the authorities come and they rebuke him. And they say, why are you doing that? And he goes, well, the guy who healed me said that I should pick up my mat and walk. And they go, who was it? Guess what his answer is? I don't know. He doesn't even know who it is. How can he have faith in Jesus? And that's how he got healed. If you look in the story, what happens? Jesus goes, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And then, it says, and immediately he was healed. And then he gets up and walks. Does does faith come before the healing? Or does healing come before the guy ever even has faith? No. Jesus is doing something that Jesus does. It's not because he has faith and Jesus isn't limited by faith or not faith. It's just, you know, where the rest of that story we'll, we'll, we'll keep unpacking, but I know from this story that he, these are some things that we have to pay attention to. Though, if this story, if the guy didn't have any faith, then obviously you don't have to have faith to get healed because otherwise this story doesn't make any sense. It's in the Bible, right? So more faith is not enough. You need Jesus. So you need to, you, want, you have to want to grow. Do you want to grow? Do you feel stuck? Are you apathetic? Are your excuses getting in the way? And what you need, you don't, this is what you need. You need more Jesus. All the other things are tools. Coming to church, reading the Bible, they're to lead you to Jesus. If you do those and you don't end up with more of Jesus, oh, that's a mistake. That's a tragedy. We want more of Jesus. That's why we do these things. Right. And then the next section is this. I'm calling it don't major in the minors. You ever majored in the minors? You ever met someone who majored in the minors? That's what we see with these Jewish. Now, remember, these Jewish uh, uh, leaders, they had just basically written these whole people off. And now 
They're going to finally engage this guy. For 38 years, they didn't engage this guy. They just left him out there to wither. And now, finally, they're going to engage him. And let's see why. He said, now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Right? The Sabbath is a day when you're supposed to rest. You're supposed, it's supposed to be for soul care. It's supposed to be for worship. It's supposed to be family time. It's supposed to be refreshing. It's supposed to be a gift from God that he gave to them so that they can be taken care of, so they can rest. That's what it's for, right? But they, the Jewish people had become, they said, well, well, it, well, what it really means, it means don't work. So then they started asking questions because they're super smart, right? And they say, well, how do we know what work is? So they come up with 39 different categories, right? You can't travel because that's work. Okay, well, how do you define travel? You can't walk a thousand yards from your house. If you walk a thousand yards from your house, that's work. 999 yards is fine on the Sabbath, but the thousandth yard, that is sin. Thousand yards sin, right? And so what they did was they went around it and they said, well, what if we take food and we take, we go 999 yards and we set up a little place. So you would find people with houses and 999 yards, they would have a little cabin, right? Or a little place and they would store their food there because if you stored your food there, then that was a new house, right? So you could walk 995 to your new house. Then you could walk another thousand. If you did that enough, you could go wherever you want. You could go around it. My friend told me that when he went to Israel, he was stayed in this nice hotel and they had two elevators. One elevator was for the for the for the Jewish people and one was for the it was a Gentile elevator. 6 days a week they both functioned exactly the same. Everyone used them. But on the Sabbath, the Jewish elevator, it would stop at every floor and open. Why? Because pushing a button is work. You can't push a button. So it was super slow and the Jewish line would be really long, right? And so it would have to get in there. Can you imagine if it's you know, 30 floors, every floor you stop. Oh, how annoying, right? Right? And so this is what the Jewish people would do. They would wait till a Gentile came, and then they would, they would let them push the button for them, and then they would go in the Gentile elevator, and they would say, hey, would you push button six? Right? That was their loophole. Is that God's design? One of the rules, one of the 39 rules was you can't move on the Sabbath. And they determined that if you pick up furniture and you take it from one place to the next, it's Sabbath. So these Jewish people look at this guy who's just gotten healed, and they go, you picked up your bed mat, which is your bed, which is your furniture, and you, and you moved from your house, which is this outdoor place because you're homeless, and you, and you picked it up and you walked, and what are you doing? Have they, are they majoring in the minors? Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. And he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not who, know who it was. They didn't even know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. What's the point of the Sabbath? To, to not work and to rest. What does Jesus say? Well, God is working. 
and I'm working with, I'm, I'm, I might work with my dad, right? Some things that we see in here is this. Are you asking the wrong questions? You want to not major in the minors? Are you asking the right questions? Now here's these, this, this story. This guy has been, been, been suffering for 38 years. It's his new birth. It's a new beginning. He gets healed. And what do they do? Do they put up balloons? Do they celebrate? They say, oh, that's so awesome. Let's go race. Right? That's what I would have done. Hey, you, you've been sitting there for 38 years. You can't walk. Now you can walk. Let's test those babies out. Right? Do they, do they dance with them? Do they, do they celebrate? No, they rebuke him. They rebuke him. They're asking the wrong questions. Instead of going, who did this? I want to meet him. They go, who told you you could walk on the Sabbath? Right? They're asking the wrong questions. Oh, those Pharisees. How many often do we do that? We ask the wrong questions. Oh, that guy, I heard he's homosexual. Is he homosexual? I don't know. Why don't you ask this question? Let me ask you a question. Did you take the time to get to know him? Did you find out what's going on in his life? Did you take the time to find out his name? What he's all about? Who he is? It's not about necessarily what's right and wrong. It's how do you treat people who aren't right or who are wrong? Are you asking the wrong questions? Here's the other side of that. In this postmodern world, people like to hide behind this. I have more questions than answers. I have more. It's very mysterious, right? I have more questions. Well, tell me about your faith. Well, I have more questions than answers. Oh, how awesome. How spiritual, how deep, right? I have more questions. Well, let me ask you. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to not know all the answers. But I I got a question for you. If you found out a compelling answer, would it change your heart? Would it change your mind? Would it change your life? Or are you hiding behind the I don't know the answer question deal, right? If you did, though, because some of the answers are out there, if you're really seeking and you did find the answer, would it change your mind? Would it change your heart? Are you asking the wrong question? The next thing we see in here is this. Jesus' love compels us to grow. Or at least it's supposed to. Jesus' love compels us to grow. Notice in the story, Jesus leaves this guy. He leaves this guy. He's healed him. He leaves this guy. And what does it say? He went and he found him in the temple. Jesus went and found him in the temple. Now, I think implied in that is Jesus wasn't done with him yet. Jesus loved him and went looking for him. Jesus wanted to follow up with him. Jesus wanted to continue the relationship with him. Jesus went, went and found him. It doesn't say he bumped into him. It says Jesus went and he found him in the temple because he loved him. How do you respond to Jesus' love for you in your life? How do you respond to the fact that Jesus loves you that jesus is not done with you that jesus is constantly coming and finding you in the temple and meeting with you in the temple 
And what does he say to him? He says, look, great, your, your legs work now. Your legs work now. It's awesome. But guess what? Keep growing. Stop sinning. Or something worse could even happen to you. Now, we don't know if, certainly the reason why people have ailments is not always because they're sin, but sometimes it is. Sometimes somebody drinks alcohol their whole life and they mess up their parts, right? They mess up their kidney. They mess up their liver, right? And, then, and that's, a, that's, that's attributed to something that you did. Your ailment is something that you did. Sometimes that's the case. I don't know if that's what's going on with this guy, if he was doing something you know, crazy and he lost his ability to walk because he was doing something that was sin. I don't know. But Jesus goes, look, I want you to move forward. I want you to grow. Don't just settle into the fact that now your legs work. Keep growing. Because Jesus' love is supposed to compel us to grow. Let me ask you this. Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow? Do you want to overcome that thing that you, that, that you know that's bothering you? Or have you just kind of settled in? Right? I'm addicted to pornography. That's it. I'm addicted to this one thing. That's it. I, I, I got this one thing going on. I, I'm stuck. And I'm just always going to be stuck. Or do you want to grow? Do you want to move forward? But Jesus' love compels us to grow. Let me ask you this. Do you know what your next step should be in your faith? Do you know what your next step should be in your faith? Because if you don't know what your next step is, chances are you're probably just not doing anything. Do you know what your next step is in your faith? If you don't, here's the thing. I'm not going to give you a big list. Here's my advice. Go find somebody, take some initiative, and say, hey, don't say, hey, will you mentor me? Say, hey, would you meet with me? Get some coffee, get some fro-yo, get a cheeseburger, right? Would you meet with me? Because I would really love you to pray for me. I would really love for you to give me some advice on what to do next. What, what are you doing to take the next step to grow? And then the, the, the last thing we see in this section is this. Jesus shows us that pleasing God is more important. It's greater than pleasing people. Pleasing God is more important than pleasing people. These people come to Jesus, right, and they say, who do you think you are telling this guy to walk on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, well, my father is working, and my father gave me some work to do, and that's what I'm doing. He wants to please God. He's not pleasing these these people, right? Make no mistake about it. Jesus did not disobey the word of God on this day. Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. Jesus broke man's tradition. Jesus broke popular opinion. It's hard to go against popular opinion. It's hard to go against what everyone else wants you to do or say. I've found that to be true as a pastor. It's hard sometimes. You know what? It's, it's hard because how many of you guys are like me and you're a people pleaser? Here's the thing about being a people pleaser. You're never going to make everybody happy. You're never going to make everybody happy. And you're going to have to choose who is the most important person to obey, to please. Jesus makes it very clear. I'm doing what the Father tells me to do. Hey, if you guys line up, it's not like I'm trying to offend you guys, but I'm doing, I'm pleasing, I'm living to please God. I'm living to please number one. 
right? And then the last section we see, he finishes up like this, and we can have the worship team come back up, is this. In verse 18, it says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. There's a turn in the plot, right? Jesus is now in Jerusalem. The people, the Pharisees have now decided, I want to kill Jesus. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Here's some things in your notes. I call this haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate, right? Here's the thing. It's, it's, it, it's hard to be a people pleaser because some people, you're never gonna please everybody, right? Haters gonna hate. It's just a reality. That's why the other day, uh, this, this is a funny story about Duke. Since, since Duke get, uh, gave me some trouble, I'll, I'll, I'm going to tell on him. I'm driving the other day, and, and, and I'm on Lamita Boulevard. All of a sudden, I look over, and there's this guy. I find out it's Duke. He's got his window rolled down. He's got Taylor Swift blasting. Hey, it's going to hey, hey, hey. He's like boogie. No, that didn't happen. I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. It was Justin Bieber. He's listening to Justin Bieber. He's looking at the guy next to me. He goes, my mama don't like you. And she likes everyone. That didn't happen either. I was just trying to bring some interest here so we can close with some gusto, right? Haters going to hate. We all know that. We all know that. But here's some things. In this text, we see Jesus came to reveal who God is. That was what he cared about. If you don't like that, he's not going to change for you. Jesus came to reveal who God is. Oftentimes, people will ask me this. They find out I'm a Christian, and, and they go, I don't know, I, uh, the Jesus guy seemed pretty cool, but I don't think the Bible is all true, and the church is a bunch of jerks. But I thought Jesus guy seemed pretty cool. And, and then they'll, they'll say this, did Jesus even say he was God? I mean, you guys say he's God, but did Jesus even say he was God? Yes! <laughs> right here, he said he was God. That's why they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus because he said he was God. He was claiming to be God. You don't have to believe it, but the Bible teaches that. Yes is the answer if you're wondering, right? And Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. What's the problem with the Pharisees? They've forgotten their sinners. They've forgotten their sinners. Jesus came to save sinners, and they hate Jesus. Why? Because they don't know that they need him. They don't know that they desperately need him. Do you know that you need him? Do you know that you are a sinner, that Jesus died on a cross, that he came to die on a cross for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God? Does that compel you to love him? Does it compel you out of your comfort zone, out of your apathy, to move forward and to want to become more like him? And we call that growth. When you grow to become more like Jesus, that's the only growth that really matters. Jesus came to save sinners, and Jesus offers real hope to all who will receive him. Have you received the hope that is found in Christ alone, not in the stirring of the water, not in some conference, right? Not the conferences are bad, I love conferences, but it is in Christ and Christ alone that we place our hope. Have you received the hope of Jesus Sadly, in this story, nobody receives Jesus. That's what we're left with. This guy, 
is sitting there broken. Jesus says, do you want to get better? He comes up with an excuse. Oh, no one will do, no one will heal me. Jesus says, get up and walk. He gets up and walk. And then the Pharisees ask him, why are you doing that? He comes up with an excuse. It was because that guy told me. Who? Who told you? Right? I don't know. Jesus then loves him, goes and finds him, meets with him and says, hey, man, your legs are better. Awesome. But there's more to go. Keep going. Stop sinning. Get help. Grow. What does he do? He immediately goes and tells on Jesus, finds the Pharisees. I found him. It was him, him. That's the guy right there. Go get him. Doesn't respond to Jesus. Will you respond to Jesus? Or maybe I'd ask you this. Maybe some of us today, the Holy Spirit's kind of given us a little bit of an intervention. It was a much needed loving intervention. How is the Holy Spirit leading you to respond this morning? Are there some excuses? Maybe they're legit. Maybe stuff has happened. But don't let that keep you from growing. Because here's the thing. Is Jesus bigger than than everything? Is Jesus big enough? Is Jesus bigger than all of the obstacles? Is Jesus bigger than all of the reasons? Is Jesus great enough to want to pursue? Because if that's true, let's pursue him. If you... If you feel stuck and you just need help, as we're worshiping, I would encourage you to come right up here. There's people that want to pray with you. But let's not leave here without responding to Jesus like this guy does.